have your name linked with Pastor John MacArthur is kind of overwhelming. <laughs> I was simply trying to struggle my way through preaching lab. They told me I was finished, and now I stand before a hundred plus theologically trained, theologically trained college students to open God's word. I don't know what's worse, to sit before six MDiv students or a hundred plus theologically trained college students. It's kind of like that game, you know, what would you rather, live with no arms or live with no legs? N neither of them. I don't want either of those. And so my task before me this morning is to open God's word with you and bring to you a message that is near and dear to my heart for the time when I was going through college myself. And so before we open God's word, would you go before him with me just to ask his help? Father, thank you for this great and joyful opportunity. I come before you with much fear and trembling, Lord, but I know that you are strong to help me. Lord, open your word this morning. Holy Spirit, help our minds and our hearts to understand. Lord, would you do a work in these students this morning that they would see a need to come alongside one another in this race that we run. Help each of them to persevere in the faith and to restore and to carry one another in the midst of the struggles, especially the temptations that come during these years in college. Father, I trust that you will do your work through your word, for it never returns void. You accomplish the task for which you send it, Lord. And so use me to proclaim your word this morning. I thank you in the name of our precious Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. If you guys wouldn't mind opening your Bibles to the letter of the Galatians this morning, that is where we'll be studying. And as you're turning to Galatians, I want to recount to you quickly an event that took place for me as I was traveling to the Master Seminary one morning. I was running a little late, so I'm racing down the L.A. freeways to try to get to class. And to make matters worse, it begins to rain. And as you know, L.A. drivers are excellent drivers in the rain. And so it, took, it was an event that required focus and precision. I needed to pay attention to the road, and so I put my hands at 10 and 2 and started checking my mirrors like they taught me in driver's training school. And everything seemed fine and good, so I began to relax my focus a little bit, checking my phone to see how late I was going to be to class. And just like that, a car cut right in front of me. I swerved to my right, sideswipe side collision, with a heavy-duty work truck, got my meager economy car over to the side of the road, and I remember sitting there thinking, how did this even happen? Where did he come from? How, what went wrong? And I'm sure maybe you've gone through a situation like that, and if you haven't, you've been on the flip side. And for me, it was just the very next day, but now in my rental car, I'm driving down the LA freeways again to seminary, and I see a car on the side of the road, and I think to myself, I start playing the mind game, well, should I pull over to help them? Ah, you know what? It's L.A. They wouldn't want me to pull over. I don't even know them. Or you know what? I got myself out of that situation just yesterday. They can do it. I know. That's a pretty nice car. They're probably driving really fast. They deserve to be on the side of the road right now. And you know what? I'm not a mechanic. I wouldn't know the first thing to do in this situation. What's interesting about that 
is that it's a lot like the Christian life. Many of you may know, brothers and sisters in Christ, right now, even at the Master's University, who find themselves overtaken in sin. They were reading the Word of God. They were spending time in prayer. They were enjoying this Christian fellowship. When they start to relax a little bit, perseverance of the saints starts to become reactive defense against temptation. And before they know it, they're overtaken. They need help. They're in a desperate situation. But my attention this morning is not on them, but is on you and me and us, the passerby. You see them. You see them in their desperate situation, but you start playing the mind games again. I don't really know that person very well. They wouldn't want me to confront them. You know what? I saw them. They, I didn't see them at chapel. They haven't been going to our local church. They deserve to be in this situation right now. God's judging them for that. You know what? I haven't taken biblical counseling courses yet, or I don't know how I would counsel them in this situation. Do you, do you think that this situation is something that you are called to? This is a situation where you are supposed to go and help? But, but how? How do we do this? Paul knew, and Paul addressed the Galatians on how to do this. If you look with me at Galatians chapter 1, Paul was addressing the Galatians because they were in a desperate situation. They had begun to deviate in their minds from the gospel that saved them. Practically, they were turning to a gospel of legalism. And so in chapter 1, verse 6, he says, I am amazed that you are so quickly deserting him who called you by the grace of Christ for a different gospel. Look at verse 9. As we have said before, so I say again, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what he received, he is to be accursed. The Galatians needed to be reminded of the powerful gospel that they had been saved by. Look at chapter 2, verse 16. Paul goes on. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we've believed in Christ Jesus, so that we may be justified by faith in Christ, not by works of the law, since by works of the law no flesh will be justified. They begin to live their lives, practically speaking, as though they believed a legalistic gospel. Look at chapter 3, verse 2. Paul gets a little bit more pointed with them. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? The works of the law couldn't save them now, just as it didn't before. Paul turns the corner in chapter 5, verse 1. Flip there. It was for freedom that Christ set us free. Therefore, keep standing firm and do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. So now Paul begins to address that practical behavior. They had started to believe this legalistic gospel. They began to turn from a gospel of grace to a gospel of works, and it was affecting their practical walk as well. Some of them were turning back to the yoke of slavery, to the works of the law of Moses, and others were taking an opportunity to completely abandon it altogether and go to lawlessness. So you have the straight path of grace, and Galatian believers are falling to either side of the road. Lawlessness, legalism. Look at chapter 5, verse 13. For you were called to free the freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. 
Verse 16, but I say walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. Many in Galatia were failing to walk by the Spirit. They were not producing the, fear, the fruit of the Spirit. They were losing focus. They were practically living out a false gospel, turning to legalism and lawlessness. But not everyone in Galatia was. There were some who were walking in the Spirit. And Paul addresses them in Galatians chapter 6 to tell them what to do. To tell them how to help their brothers and sisters in Christ who are being overcome by the temptations around them. And so we read in Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5, our text this morning, read with me. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, each one looking to yourself, so that you too will not be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone, and not in regard to another, for each one will bear his own load. You see, the reality of our conduct to one another is always governed by our view of ourself. If I love myself the most, then I'm going to love everybody else the least. If I'm number one, they'll be number two. And so Paul's solution to those who are walking in the Spirit is, remember the sacrificial love of Christ. Remember the selfless love of Christ. And so in our passage before us this morning, I want you to see the three commands of Spirit-led living that will help us love our brothers and sisters in Christ in the most desperate situation. I want you to see the three commands that Paul gives so that we can sacrificially come alongside those even in the, one of the most difficult ways to do. Gentle confrontation for the good of their faith. And let's begin with the first command that Paul gives. We find it in verse 1. His command is to restore, but don't be ruined. Restore, but don't be ruined. Paul addresses the situation. Look again at verse 1. Here's the situation. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespass. People are being caught in trespasses. These aren't just simple stumblings or walking a little bit away from the straight and narrow. Trespass. These are sins. People are being overtaken in sins. And notice the word he uses, caught, caught in any trespass. Interesting word that Paul uses here. It has the idea of there being a surprise, an element of surprise, to be overtaken, to be taken unaware, and he uses it passively, to be overtaken, to be taken unaware. These are people who were walking, but they started to lose focus, and before they know it, they find themselves trapped in a sinful situation, and they don't know how they got there. And they're wrestling and they're struggling and they don't know how to get back. So Paul told them in chapter 5, don't carry out the deeds of the flesh. But these are people who are now caught in the deeds of the flesh, be it legalistically or lawlessly. The Bible goes unopened for a time because the studies are 
so forceful, so much pressure. There's no time to get together in Christian fellowship. I have to miss a chapel here or there because I have goals, I have aspirations that I need to achieve. I don't have time to go to my knees in prayer. I need to, I, I need to spend my time doing this or that. Before they know it, they're looking around and they're thinking, where did I, how did I get here? I was going so, I was moving so well. I was so close to Christ, sharing deep intimacy with him, enjoying the fellowship of the brethren. But now I'm wrestling in this sin and I don't know how to get out. See, the person who's walking in the Spirit, they're focused, they're diligent. They are deeply serious about sin. They don't give sin a foothold. They cling to the Word of God. They go to their knees in prayer often, calling upon His mercies and grace, surrounding themselves with the fellowship, knowing that they can't do it alone. And notice, this is the one who Paul says, restore. Look again at verse 1. You who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. In chapter 5, Paul has just been saying, walk in the Spirit. So I don't think that the person who is spiritual here is the person who's been walking in the Spirit necessarily for decades upon decades. This isn't an age requirement. This is someone who is actively walking in the Spirit by the grace of God, the person who has intimacy with Christ, who is giving life to the Spirit within and putting death to the deeds of the flesh now. The person who is actively, daily walking in the Spirit, they are spiritual, literally, of the Spirit. And Paul says, you, brother and sister, you go and restore that fallen brother or sister. The command is for the spiritual person. We're all in different places in our walk. And we can all look to the brother or sister who's a little bit behind us and reach out that hand and pull them back up to the path with us. And that's the command. Restore. It's the first imperative that Paul gives here in this passage. Restore. And in a continuous sense, keep on restoring your brother and sister. Don't stop. The word was often used of mending fishing nets to their former usefulness. Or it was used in the medical community of setting a broken bone. So us, the spiritual one, you, the spiritual one, you see that brother and sister in Christ who has fallen. They've been broken from intimacy with Christ due to the sin in their life. And you need to go to them with precision and gentleness to restore that broken bone, restore that piece of the body of Christ. You need to go to them, confront the sin, show them the forgiveness that is in the Scriptures in Christ. You need to take them to the passages of Scripture that show, that where God shows us that there is an answer to that sin. There is a way to overcome it. And notice what Paul says. To do all of this in a spirit of gentleness. We all know that broken bones are extremely sensitive. They take precision, but they take gentleness. And it's only the spiritual Christ Christian who can truly do this in a, spiritual, in, in, in a spirit of gentleness because only the spiritual Christian is producing the fruit of the Spirit. 
of which gentleness is a key part of that fruit. As we can't be people who don't go and restore, we also can't be people who do so pridefully, with conceit, with boast, going to restore only to pridefully point out their faults, belittle them, expose them publicly. We must have a heart for their sanctification, have a heart like Christ, the one who not only came to save his bride from the penalty of sin and death, but also came to wash her with the word of God. And so the spiritual Christian comes to restore their brother and sister in Christ, but notice that they are also careful not to be ruined in the, Paul, in the process. This is the second half of Paul's command in verse 1. We are to restore but not be ruined. Paul says, each one looking to yourself so that you too will not be tempted. In his resolutions, Jonathan Edwards wrote this. Number 8. Resolved that I will let the knowledge of others' failings promote nothing but shame in myself and prove only an occasion of my confessing my own sins and misery to God. Wow. That's the heart of the spiritual Christian. The one who's seeking to restore, but is looking to himself, knowing that as he goes to restore, it's only by the grace of God that he has not fallen, or she has not fallen into that very same temptation. There is no power in and of yourself that has kept you from that same trespass. It's only the grace of God that you haven't fallen. And so you go to them to restore, looking to yourself and calling out to the Father for his mercy to keep you from that same trespass. It's pride. It's pride that keeps us from restoring. It's pride that can cause us to fall when we do go to our brother and sister. And if you notice, it's pride that also keeps us from Paul's second command. We find this in verses 2 and 3. Paul's second command is to carry, but don't be conceited. We're to restore, but not be ruined, but that's only the first part. We are then to carry, but not be conceited. Look at verse 2 with me. Paul says, bear one another's burdens, and thereby fulfill the law of Christ. You see, restoring the brother and sister is just the first step. It's just the first step. We go to them. We gently confront them. We show them the sufficiency of Scripture and the way that they can be brought back to usefulness in the body. But then we are to bear or carry their burdens. This word, bear, meant to carry with endurance. And the word that Paul uses here for burden was one that described a large boulder or stone, a construction material that was not expected to be carried by one man alone. It was something that two or three, four would carry. And so Paul's saying, keep on carrying their burdens. We can't expect the brother and sister in Christ who've just been overcome by a temptation to then carry that burden themselves back to usefulness in the body. The very temptation that has overcome them has overtaken them. You see, the Church of Jesus Christ is not like a charitable organization, the Red Cross or the Salvation Army. We don't stop by, drop our donation, 
put in our time for a little bit and leave at the end of the day. No, the body of Christ is a family of brothers and sisters who've been knit together by the Holy Spirit for common fellowship and edification. Your burden is my burden. Her burden is your burden. We're a family. We come alongside them. We carry that burden with them. Paul said in the letter to the Romans, Now we who are strong ought to bear the weaknesses of those without strength and not just please ourselves. We come alongside that brother or sister. But here's the key. Like the person on the road who pulls over to help me out on the side, the end goal isn't just to get into their car and all is fine and dandy. They're not my savior. They're going to take me to the body shop who will fix my car. And so we're not the savior, but we carry them to the savior. We bear that burden with them to Christ. We show them Christ in the scriptures. We help them behold the glory of Christ. A glory that is so blinding and majestic that it overwhelms the glimmer of that temptation that caught their eye and led them astray. We show them the Christ whose blood goes on forgiving us of our sins. The one whom we confess our sins to, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and continue to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. The Christ who ever stands at the right hand of the Father mediating his blood for us. We show them the Christ who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. We show them the glory of Christ in the scriptures. And so bear that burden with them to the one who can bring them back into usefulness in the body. Who can restore intimacy with himself through the cleansing that only he can provide. And Paul says, thereby we fulfill the law of Christ. When we give of our time, when we lay down what is important to us, when we give of our life to that brother and sister, bearing that burden with them, it takes time, it takes effort, it costs us something, but when we do, we are fulfilling the law of Christ, the law of love. And so we must bear their burdens, we must carry, but you realize that can only happen when we're not conceited. You can only fulfill the law of Christ when you're humble, not when you're prideful. And so Paul says in verse 3, look at verse 3 again with me. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. It's when we think that we are the most important person on this earth, that our goals and aspirations are the only thing that matters, that our schedule and studies, our reputation is the be-all and end-all. When we think we're something, then we're really nothing. God uses the nothings in the world to do the something that he wants to accomplish in the body of Christ. Interesting what Paul says here. He has deceived himself. Literally, he has convinced his own mind of myth or fantasy it's like the people who build up this image of themselves on Facebook, only the best parts of their life, and then they even start to believe that that's really what they're like in life. 
they've convinced their own mind of myth and fantasy. It's not who they really are. The reality is we all live in a burdened world. We know the fall very well. We all can still be tempted in this walk, in this perseverance of the saints, in this race to the finish line. But the body of Christ was not meant to be individual believers running by themselves. Our salvation is a personal matter before the Lord, but we've been saved into a body, and so therefore we have one another to share that burden. And so we must humble ourselves. We must have the heart of Christ who came to seek and save the lost, to see the brother and sister who's in desperate need of our help, and we come alongside them. Chances are, if we're failing in command number one, to go and to restore, and we're failing in command number two, to carry, it's because we're failing in Paul's third command. And he, we find that in verses four and five. His fourth, sorry, his third command in verse four is to examine and don't be egotistical. Examine and don't be egotistical. Look at verse 4 with me again. But each one must examine his own work, and then he'll have reason for boasting in regard to himself alone and not in regard to another. The third command he gives us is to examine ourselves, examine our own work. And when I was first studying the flow of verses 1 through 5, I didn't really understand how 4 and 5 fit into the scope of what Paul was commanding here in this section about restoring and carrying, but then examine? Examine myself? Examine my own work? And then it made sense. As I thought practically about this process that Paul's giving us. It's all about the pride, the conceit, the humility that it takes to do this process The lowering of oneself. If I am not rightly examining my work in respect to the right standard, then I will refuse to do command one and two. If I am looking out at my brothers and sisters and comparing myself to possibly even the one who is caught in the trespass and desperately needs my help, then I'm going to think I'm okay. That I am really cutting it as a Christian that my work is pure gold. I am in the Word daily. I am going to chapel. I am serving in the local body. I pray daily. I'm killing it in my Bible classes. Paul says examine. Each one must examine his own work, and then he will have reason for boasting. We have to ask ourselves, what is the standard of our work? By what standard are we comparing the work that we are doing? Is it the refining fire of God's word? Is it the purifying fire of God's word? This word examine that Paul uses here was often used by blacksmiths testing gold over and over through the refining process until it was determined pure. All of us at one point or another will stand face to face with Christ to have our works tested by fire, either now in the pages of his word or when we stand before him in that day where our works will either be shown to be gold, 
diamond or burnt up as wood, hay, and stubble. And so we have to, we have to come before the pages of his word and examine the work that we are doing. Are we restoring that brother and sister in Christ who need us most, who are desperately struggling to get back on the right path, intimacy with Christ? Are we carrying their burden with them or leaving them to themselves? Are we doing so humbly and gently? And if we can honestly examine that work in the refining fire of God's word, then, Paul says, then we will have reason for boasting in regard to ourselves alone and not in regard to one another, not how we stack up with one another. Paul said in Romans 15, 17, Therefore, in Christ Jesus I have found reason for boasting in the things pertaining to God, for I will not presume to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. When we can stand before God and glory in the work that he has produced through us by the Holy Spirit, then we have reason to boast, not in what we have done, but what he has done in us. We can know without a doubt that it is a work that he has accomplished. So Paul says, examine but don't be egotistical. Oftentimes, we will seek to examine ourselves in light of one another only to pat our own ego, only to pat ourselves on the back. Paul says in verse 5, for each one will bear his own load. Paul, are you contradicting yourself between verses 2 and 5? Bear one another's burdens. Verse 5, for each will bear his own load. It's interesting, though, that Paul, in verse 5, uses a different word for load than burden in verse 2. The burden in verse 2 was a heavy weight or stone that one person was not expected to carry, but the load in verse 5 is a word that was often used of a pilgrim's knapsack or a ship's cargo, a soldier's bag, something that he was expected to carry on his own. It's the, it's the load, it's the stewardship of the ministry that God has given to each one of us. The task that each of us have in the body of Christ to fulfill the ministry for the glory of Christ. And a part of that ministry is to restore and to carry one another's burdens. And so Paul says, look, examine yourself. Examine yourself in respect to God's word, in respect to the right standard, because you have a responsibility that no one else can carry. John Stott said of this passage, So we are to bear one another's burdens, which are too heavy for a man to bear alone. But there is one burden which we cannot share. Indeed, do not need to, because it is a pack light enough for every man to carry himself. And that is our responsibility to God on the day of judgment. On that day, you cannot carry my pack, and I cannot carry yours. Brothers and sisters, we've all been given this task. Either we are the spiritual one by the grace of God right now, or we are the one who is on the precipice of falling, of being overtaken in temptation. If you are that one, take heed lest you fall. But if you are the one by the grace of God who is walking in the Spirit, 
go to your brother and sister. I know you can think of someone right now. Even at a great university as TMU, none of us are immune to the temptations of the flesh. We're at the end of a semester. The burdens of studies, the, 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 the intensity of college, the temptations of the world, the inputs around us, the complications of relationships. Temptations abound, and college is, a, 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 is one of the most trying times of life. And so even at a place as, like TMU, there are brothers and sisters in Christ who desperately need us to reach out our hand, to restore them, to carry that burden with them. But what is our litmus test for how well we are carrying that responsibility? Did you restore a brother and sister in Christ more gently than you did a year ago? Have you looked around to see if there is one who desperately needs your help? How easy it is for us to become prideful, to become conceited by our accomplishments, by even the, the grace of God itself. We become prideful. We're walking in the Spirit we're producing the fruit of the Spirit, and we use that as a means to boast. May it never be that we use the very blessings and mercies of God for our own benefit. In the battlefield of war, each soldier must carry his own pack, and he must carry out his responsibilities to the commanding officer. But when a fellow soldier is struck by enemy fire in the midst of the fray of battle, that soldier has a responsibility to go and carry that brother back to safety and usefulness. And at the end of the battle, he will report before that commanding officer once again, and he will have to give an account for how well he accomplished the task for which he was sent, and also did he leave no brother behind in doing so. Brothers and sisters, we have entered into a spiritual battle, battle whether we like it or not. And we were given the armor of God for a reason. Even still, some of us will fall. But that we cannot be forgotten. We cannot forget them in the midst of the battle. And so Paul has called us, he has given us a duty to restore but not be ruined to carry one another, but not be conceited in doing so, and to examine ourselves, but not for egotistical reasons. Imagine what this would do for the glory of Christ if we walked in the Spirit and carried out these commands more diligently. The gossip it would avoid. The serious sins that it would prevent in our brothers and sisters. All for the advancement of the church and the praise of his name in the midst of this dark world. What greater example do we have to look to than our Lord Jesus Christ? The one who came to seek and to save the lost. I can't help but think of Peter. The night that he refused to acknowledge Christ three times, three times from even across the courtyard, making eye contact with our Lord as he denied him the third time, running out and weeping bitterly. 
we can't help but think that Peter, Peter thought, there's no way, there's no way that I'm useful in the body of Christ ever again. I failed. And how did I get here? I thought I was going so well. I was so close to my Lord. And now I'm utterly trapped. So I'll go back to the world. I'll go back to its ways. And yet our Lord, our Lord seeks him out and takes an opportunity to go to him. To go to him that morning. Even when our Lord had the majesties of heaven before him, he had finished his work. The glory with which he had with the Father was before his eyes. And yet, he took a moment to go to Peter and restore him and tell him he would be with him always, even to the ends of the earth, carrying his burden. We can look to our Lord. We can receive encouragement. We can receive strength. We can carry out this duty that we have with one another. And so I encourage you, even with a short time left in this semester, restore that brother and sister who needs you. Carry their burden with them. Bring them back to intimacy with the Lord. Pray for them ceaselessly. Show them the glory of our Savior. Help them to have usefulness in the body once again. Help them in the task of persevering with the saints. Let's go to our Father in prayer. Our Father, I thank you that you have not saved us to run this race by ourselves. And I thank you for the faithful brothers and sisters in Christ who even came alongside me in college and in seminary, a testimony to your grace and mercy, knowing that I wouldn't stand here today if it weren't for their work in my own life. Father, I pray that you would encourage, that you give boldness to the students who by your own grace are walking in the Spirit and who can go to their brothers and sisters who desperately need them. Those brothers and sisters who fear that there is no way, there's no way they're going to overcome this sin that they are entrapped in. There is no hope. Father, there is hope. And oftentimes you use us, one another, to help each other. To help each other back onto the path, the path basking in your light. And even when we stumble and become dirty once again, you've promised that the blood of Christ even goes on cleansing us from all unrighteousness. Father, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for giving me grace to proclaim it. I pray that you would use your word in the lives of these students today, tomorrow, to the end of this semester and into the years to come, into the life that they will live, being conformed into your image. Father, we thank you for our precious Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who saw us and had mercy upon us, left the glories of heaven to come and to restore us back to you, that we might have relationship with you. Help us to fulfill the law of Christ and do the same. 
and allows our brothers and sisters by your power through your word to pray all this through your great name.